This disclaimer informs listeners that the views, thoughts and opinions expressed in the text belong solely to the creators and not necessarily to the creator's employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Burnout, the latest buzzword in medicine. Burnout, not just a figure of speech anymore. It's actually been declared a legitimate medical diagnosis by the World Health Organization. Uh, all right, so guys, here's my talk at the table. It's about worker burnout. So, what is burnout? Well, personally, when I hear something that excites me, I like to dig up the origins of where it came from. So I'm going to take you back to the origin of this buzzword. In the 1970s, this American psychologist by the name of Herbert defined burnout to be the consequences of high amount of stress with high ideals in helping professions. What does it mean by helping professions, you may ask? Helping professions are professions like doctors, healers, you know, nurses, firefighters and army officers where a great deal of ideals are being put on them to perform, which could include sacrificing themselves in the endeavours of their profession. And these ideals often end up leaving them exhausted, listless and struggle to cope with what is expected out of them day to day. But don't you think things have changed now? Because uh, these days, uh, this term is not only limited to the helping professions, right? But applicable to anyone for the matter of fact. Amira, can you tell us how would anyone know if they're experiencing burnout? Sure. Well, frankly, in the research for this topic, I was actually surprised because there are so many definitions of burnout spelled out in a way that they are somewhat a diagnostic criteria. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's quote the um, World Health Organization or WHO. It states that burnout is the feeling of exhaustion, feeling mm -hmm. so distant away from your job and reduced to work efficiency. The CDC or the Center of Disease Control also similarly breaks it down to um, three elements of burnout. So yeah. the first one is emotional exhaustion. Mm -hmm. The second one is depersonal, depersonalization, or uh, in simple terms, it means the feeling of emotionally and physically numb, I see. or uh, the feeling that, uh, you know, you're sort of detached from yourself and from other people around you. And number three is the feeling of reduced personal accomplishments. And, you know, that's not all of it. Psychological journal writers and a fair number of self-help articles published have attempted reiterating the term burnout in many ways. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's interesting to, to hear those uh, definitions. But honestly, mm. if you ask me, I, I wouldn't commit to a fixed one. But what I have gathered from these definitions is that burnout is somewhat like a state of mind, which one lacks inspiration to carry on doing what they're doing. And on mm -hmm. a more personal note, to me, burnout is when, you know, I wake up in the morning and feel extremely heavy to get off the bed. I, I literally have to beg my brain and body to start the day. And when that happens, I know something is fundamentally wrong and something needs to change. You get mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, looking back, I have experienced that feeling. But again, I wasn't really able to label it. And I also found that labels, um, well, they were quite pointless because when we get labeled, the next thing that follows is pretty much stigma, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's just human nature. 
Exactly. And by and large, burnout is almost always linked to occupation or work-related stress, if you notice. Mm. Since this topic only got hotter from the onset of the pandemic, let's talk about healthcare workers' burnout. Why do you think this happens? So I like to second the concepts of the American psychologist that you mentioned earlier, which mm-hmm. was coined in the late 1900s. Um, I think it resonates with uh, a lot of us healthcare workers. Uh, the public relies on us to you know, ensure their health and living are well safeguarded. So healthcare workers at entry level and hierarchy, or for want of a better word, um, generation, mm-hmm. uh, are facing this sort of pressure during the pandemic. Amira, sorry to interrupt, but why do you think this happens? Uh, yeah, no. So I would think that this is uh, sort of deep-rooted in our society where the society places healthcare workers on a pedestal, mm-hmm. um, expecting them to always be right because they are dealing with human lives. So this in turn influences the way us healthcare workers see ourselves, you know, and that makes us put high expectations on ourselves. And again, be very hard on ourselves if things don't go the way that we expect them to go. Agreed. So you're saying the high ideals and the high expectations that are being placed on healthcare workers uh, somewhat indirectly causes the pressure on them. And that could eventually uh, be one of the factors that causes burnout, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely, right? yes. Yeah. So, I mean, but these are my thoughts, okay? Firstly, I think the enablers enable this. Okay. Um, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, so I'll start off by quoting a survey that is currently being conducted annually, showing two-thirds of their doctors handling burnout or depression by themselves. They don't see it as a problem because that is just how medicine is practiced as a whole. And mm. and they don't see the system changing too. So that's what I mean by the enablers enabling it. What happens right. here is that for those who are experiencing burnout, they are made to feel weak or incompetent. Or let's just say they could even be condemned to be like attention seekers. And to avoid all these negative social perceptions on them, they carry on performing at a subpar level and indirectly propagating this culture to the future doctors who look up to them as role models, you see. And as we always hear, I'm very Mm. sure that you don't miss this because I don't miss this, the very famous phrase that goes, if I could do Mm. it back in my time. And, you know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, no, I know. I know what you mean. I definitely do not miss that phrase at all because, you know, I've never felt that that phrase changed the way I work. You know, it doesn't change the way I practice medicine. It's honestly, it's just counterproductive, to be honest. (laughs) And did you know that the same survey also showed almost... 50% of the doctors were unlikely to access hospital programs because Mm, they simply don't think, yeah, it's helpful. Plus, they don't want their colleagues to know that they're feeling burnout. Mm. I am guilty of it myself, actually. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure many are equally as guilty as you are on this matter. But, Lavane, don't you think that there is a reason to this? You know, maybe um, we don't really want our particulars to be accessed by everyone in the hospital to keep it private. 
Yeah, but now we have systems that preserve anonymity. So, healthcare workers can be a little bit more confident approaching the relevant specialties and seeking mm. for assistance, right? If, mm-hmm. if we healthcare workers are not able to help ourselves, how are we going to help others? <laughs> yeah, I see your point there. I mean, we healthcare workers, we have to be sort of healthy ourselves to um, ensure our patients are healthy as well, right? Right. So to summarize this first point, uh, we think that the cause for burnout is, you know, an an unhealthy work culture that's sort of passed on to us from the previous generation um, and that, you know, obviously needs changing. So um, apart from that, what else do you think is the cause for burnout amongst healthcare workers, Lavanya? Yeah. So also the other thing that healthcare workers, I believe, can relate to when it comes to burnout is the paperwork mania that they experience. Right. Mm. So surprisingly, from the survey I found earlier, the paperwork seems to be the number one cause of burnout. <laughs> Did you know that? You know, that, that is really surprising, and I'm glad you brought it up because I can totally relate to this. You know, from a junior level to the top of the pyramid, you really can't escape paperwork in medicine. Mm-hmm. So you know. It doesn't really, uh, I think, I, I, I understand why it would cause burnout because it's just something that sort of takes you away from patient care and takes you away from quality work. A study that I found from the Annals of Internal Medicine not many years back um, that I want to share with you mm-hmm. is that that study looked into how much time is spent on health record paperwork and desk work. But I'm sure you know about the study too, yeah. Do you want to share the findings? Yeah, to be honest, the results are not shocking, Amira. For every hour a physician provides direct clinical face time to patients, nearly two additional hours is spent on paperwork within the day. And Mm -hmm. outside office hours, physicians spend another one to two hours of personal time each night doing additional computer and other clerical work. Wow, that's not an insignificant um, amount of time, don't you think? I mean, well, I have a story to share and... It's like my own journey as a junior doctor. Mm -hmm. So we as house officers in a small group, we used to bring home lab forms (laughs) to get them filled up to ensure that, you know, the work next day can be carried out as scheduled. Mm -hmm. So these sort of lab forms are so that, you know, you can send off uh, blood investigations on time and that the and then uh, the blood results can 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 be ready on time so that the specialists had enough relevant information during the ward rounds for them to make decisions essentially so here you can really see how such a big decision relies upon the efficiency of a junior or an entry-level doctor who's carrying the tasks in the least efficient manner (laughs) ironically you know like two to three hours spent at night writing lab forms yeah (laughs) i can imagine well (laughs) let's also talk about the non-clinical paperwork or administrative roles one play which is Mm. the roster maker Mm-hmm. Evidently here, we do not understand our roles. Look at leading successful companies and organizations. They have a human resource department assigned to roster making for every level and departments in their companies. In fact, there are amazing roster making, uh, roster scheduling softwares that are available in the market, which can be mm-hmm. utilized to automate routines and you know regularities as much as possible just to ensure that uh, the healthcare work provider's function is maximized. It should Mm -hmm. not be the responsibility of the superiors or colleagues to decide, if you ask me, because think about it. This will make things cloudy and we are human beings in the end. You can't run away from biases, which in turn only cultivates an unhealthy or toxic work culture. Right. I I mean, I can't uh, help but agree with you there, but 
actually many would argue and say, well, isn't it better to speak amongst us rather than mm-hmm. communicating our roster requests to another department? Well, there is truth to a certain extent because we healthcare workers, we love working in our silos and try our level best if we could to avoid speaking to another department. Mm -hmm. But see, that is the problem here. The downside to this attitude is that you become unresourceful Mm -hmm. and there can be negative effects on collaboration, on breakdown of communication and to say the least, decrease in staff morale. Yeah, and not only that, you end up assuming more work, such as doing the roster, that eventually exactly. leads to burnout, you know? Yeah, right. exactly. Right, okay, let's not delve too deep there because I have another point to talk about, which is the lack of prospects in career development and financial stresses as well. There are just countless articles, Amira, press releases, circulars and public outcry for on calling for permanent positions for medical doctors. Apart from receiving a much lesser remuneration, they are also not entitled to the same benefits as their per- permanent counterparts. When we mm-hmm. mention benefits, we are talking about financial remuneration, leaves and opportunities to further education to a postgraduate level. It's more apparent nowadays during the pandemic because a lot of doctors from various departments are now redeployed to manage COVID-19 patients. And this uh, causes them to temporarily leave their chosen specialty training. Yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, I mean, we have colleagues in surgical-based specialties uh, who are seeing pneumonia and complications related to pneumonia rather than, you know, scrapped in for surgeries. And this applies to all of those uh, in non-medical-based departments. So if I'm not mistaken, I think the enrollment for local master's program requires at least three years practicing in the specialty department to, you know, even Mm -hmm. qualify. I mean, I might be wrong, but I'm sure that this long period of managing COVID patients is not factored in into the years that they require to, you know, be eligible for the master's program. So the ambitious ones end up getting stuck in this sort of limbo yeah, agreed. So you're saying that mm, there's much to be done in terms of uh, uh, planning out a, a mm. proper training and development pathway there, right? Yes, exactly. And and that's the training and development part we're talking about. How about the financial stresses then? So <laughs> this is an interesting period. And I know that uh, the, the, the word unprecedented is probably, have probably been misused. Or, or overused, overused, I would say. <laughs> overused in the spirit. But, you know, especially during this pandemic, in terms of finances, um, junior doctors and staff, uh, they struggle with the delay in allowance payment. Uh, apart from that, you know, they receive lesser salary compared to their permanent counterparts who are performing the same task. So uh, I feel like a lot of us are, you know, sort of within the same um, level in terms of our careers, you know, mm-hmm. we're sort of like either entry level or mid level, and a lot of us have a lot of um, commitments, you know, outside of work uh, that requires finances. So some of us have children, some of us have elderly parents to care for, mortgages and um, car hire purchases and things like that. So especially during this pandemic time where there's a lot of stresses and pressure on the finances, this doesn't help. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't help with your day to day. Um, sort of uh, stresses, I guess. So what we need is some form of security um, to, you know, sort of ensure the motivation to carry on. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Amira. Well, many will say that, you know, it's service that we are providing here. and But let's be really honest. We are all humans and yes, we will sacrifice like how we are all doing now. 
but I can assure you no one will do it for free for their entire career life. So, mm-hmm. yes, remuneration and appreciation towards a team are very important aspects to look into um, as a whole, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now this brings us to the final part of this chat today, which is the suggested ways on how one can face burnout, channel those feelings, or shall I say, lack of feelings into positive outcomes. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I think um, the onus here is not entirely on the individual. So everyone has a part to play in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm first going to start off with uh, sort of a system level changes which can be made. So I think that Emphasis should be made on a performance-based evaluation rather than in a hierarchical system. So what I mean here is that, you know, how well a person performs his or her job should not be measured by how many hours they spend working, but instead it should be focused on achieving the intended outcome at the end of the day. So this way, team leaders are able to set achievable goals for their team and cultivate a more goal-oriented work culture. And um, employees will feel motivated and more valued in getting their tasks done. Agreed. And I, I think uh, one should invest, invest, invest in e-training and development rather than you know, formal physical conferences which drain quality time, let alone other forms of monetary wastage that we always see. You may ask mm-hmm. now, so how does all this help reduce burnout, right? Well, we are talking about providing appropriate avenues for career development at every level here. As you may understand, the number of slots for Hadia Latian Persekutuan is finite. Since we already have established the Parallel Pathway Training Program, more emphasis can be placed to encourage doctors to upgrade themselves independently. Mm, that's true. And I will back you up with studies that you know have shown that providing workers with opportunities to advance their careers may be the best way to keep them from leaving. Moving on from that, another systemic change that I think can be placed is creating an, an, an organized, structured, and you know, I mean properly structured, not just merely organization charts we see pasted on the walls. So a, a sort of a structured system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. so the, the, the department can work on ways to reduce administration duties by automation because this can maximize the use of resources. That can tremendously reduce one's chance of burning out as most of the non-decision-making roles are automated. Actually, you know, these systems exist already. I'm, I'm not sure if you're, you're yeah. aware of it now, but it's just that we, as users, we don't utilize them well. So, for example, we have the Hermes system, which stands for Human Resource Management Information System, which is absolutely digital. And it's a very well thought of and inclusive system that we already have. But unfortunately, many of us don't really optimize this system for administrative purposes. Yeah, now I feel guilty of that myself. <laughs> because apart from SKT and LNPT, I don't really access Hermes. Mm. Um, it It is like what you said, a very inclusive system because uh, it's, mm. it is somewhat like your entire uh, management software, right? Exactly, yeah. Well... To recap what you said, so we got to look at a system level change in order to drive effective change, am I right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But what about the roles of the individuals instead? How do you think um, they can participate in reducing burnout among themselves? Well, we got to have a healthy work environment, period. Um, 
Why do I say that? Well, a system which provides constructive feedback to healthcare workers can improve work relations. So as individuals, I think that we should be comfortable in providing and also receiving constructive feedback so that mistakes can be reduced. And uh, it provides check and balance in our daily work. For example, what would we do if we lost our fellow pharmacists, which, you know, are our daily auditors? Imagine the amount of damage that would have been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't imagine working without them around. <laughs> anyway, next is recognizing that you are approaching burnout, right? And and do not feel ashamed to ask for help because it is common. Mm. Burnout is a syndrome. You can't treat a syndrome with just one or two days off from the stresses. If you are mm-hmm. struggling to empathize with patients or colleagues, then this could mean that you may be suffering uh, from burnout. And you know mm-hmm. what is scary about this, Amira? This can lead to errors in clinical work, which in, ter- which in, in itself carries serious repercussions. And yeah. if you're feeling like, despite doing your best, you are not feeling accomplished, then again, you may be suffering from burnout. And these reasons are all warrant taking some time off, if you ask me. Yeah, exactly. I, I absolutely agree. And I feel like doctors are inherently resilient people. So um, most of the time they feel like they can manage things on their own and, you know, not realizing that, you know, the burnout actually needs um, another person or uh, an, an expert. Yeah, or an expert to help yeah. them go through with it. So you know, to recap what you said, efforts that individuals can take to cope with burnout are you know, recognizing burnout within yourself and seeking for help, as well as be comfortable in providing and also receiving constructive feedback. There are also you know, obvious coping mechanisms like exercise, sleep, rest, talking to your loved ones, and the list goes on. But remember, these activities don't exactly solve the problem you need to identify the causes of burnout and address them appropriately. Take action and speak up. Remember, you are in it for the long haul. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think my candle is burning out now talking about (laughs) burnout. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the same for me as well, but before we both burn out, um, why don't you give uh, the listeners a a hint on what we will be chatting about in the next session? Yeah, so we are back to the COVID topic, obviously. And since we are seeing a high number of post-COVID lingering symptoms or maybe Mm -hmm. new ones developing even after discharge, I think it is timely to chat about the the complications of of COVID-19. What are they? When do we expect them? And what to do next? Nice, I can't wait for that. Okay, well, as usual, before we go, Mm -hmm. we will leave you guys with a quote. Almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. Signing off, this is Amira. And this is Lavanya. Bye-bye. Bye.